I mean, I have I'm, the compassion in me just rises. It's always that one, just that one that motivates me. I, you know, and I'll find that one anywhere. I think God just sends that one to me because if I can take care of that one, then we can do the same model with the rest. Welcome to another edition of First Person. I'm Wayne Shepherd, and I'm pleased to have Stan Unger as my guest. We'll begin our conversation in just a moment. I get the reports that many of you are using our smartphone app to listen each week and even go back and capture previous interviews from the past several months, which you can download and listen to at your convenience. If you're not using the app as yet, you'll find it in your favorite app store, either the Google Play or Apple Store, and it's free. Just search for a first-person interview. And don't forget the resource of our website, which updates you on new programs and archives past interviews as well. It's firstpersoninterview.com or on Facebook, facebook.com slash firstpersoninterview. And I'm grateful for the support of the Far East Broadcasting Company, which makes it possible to bring you this program each week. You'll meet a businessman now who, when confronted with hunger and poverty in the world, could not stand by and do nothing. Stan Unger is his name, and he begins to tell us his story, and I ask him if this is what he set out in life to do. Uh, no, no, I didn't. Uh, uh, my goals uh, when I was young uh, uh, certainly did not include, uh, you know, traveling around the world and working with orphans. Uh, that happened later in life uh, after I developed my business. And what was your business, Stan? Uh, my business was land and real estate development. All right. I uh, started that in 1978 and uh, to present, and it's still running, and I have some good people running it, which allows me to do what I really like to do. Ah, isn't that wonderful that you have that opportunity? All right, well, let's get into the nitty-gritty of what you do. <laughs> We've got a lot to talk about here. Um, it started where? Did it start in Myanmar or Burma? No, it didn't. Uh, it actually started with funding... Uh, uh, funding work in in some of the Asian countries like the Philippines uh, just through a um, a contact uh, and I was excited about that and uh, spent a few years just uh, just funding uh, and again pretty much orphanage work and um, and I was very fortunate uh, my business did very well and it allowed me then to go on and and do what I really wanted to do and and you are motivated by the gospel I mean you love Christ and that that's the whole picture for you isn't it Oh, absolutely, yeah, absolutely, uh, uh, no question about that, uh, no question. I uh, I remember uh, I traveled earlier on back in the, in the early 80s to uh, Romania and to uh, Uganda, and uh, Romania was really interesting because it opened up uh, in 1990, and I was there within about two months after. We brought in truckloads of sneakers from England, uh, giving them to children that didn't have any shoes, and and, and, and it was so exciting just doing that, and then of course moving on then into into Africa and then eventually Asia and uh, and then now in India and Myanmar. So uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a good um, it's been a good tour uh, for the last uh, you know twenty five thirty years. Yeah, you're going to take us around the world here in just a moment, Stan. But why why this soft spot in your heart for these things? How did the Lord move on your heart in the first place? Well, uh, it's, it's, a, it's a long story. I met a. I met a lady who was um, spent her life in Africa, and uh, she came and worked for YWAM. And uh, so we funded some work in YWAM, and the leader of YWAM suggested that I spend some time just talking to her. And 
I went to see her, and then she she gave me Isaiah 58, uh, breaking the yoke of the oppressed, feeding the poor. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, she told me that the Lord told her I was coming to see her, and that's the word that she should give me. And she gave me that word, and that really excited me. And uh, and from then on, I just, uh, I just moved forward in that area. Hmm. I want to get real specific on countries here, Stan, but just as we sort of lay the groundwork here, what is the connection between the gospel and what you do to alleviate hunger and, and all sorts of human needs? Jesus said, uh, you know, when I was hungry, you fed me. Okay, and that connected with Isaiah 58, break the yoke of the oppressed, feed the hungry. And uh, the combination just uh, just seemed to fit. Hmm. And uh, uh, I clearly, clearly the Lord was speaking to me because I, 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 I certainly felt the presence of the Holy Spirit throughout that you know, decision-making process. Yeah. A lot of people would be content with just giving out of their income to alleviate the, the need. Uh, you seem to go a, a step or more, even more uh, deeper into it than that. Why? Well, uh, early on, early on, I decided that I was going to give, uh, you know, 75% of my income to, uh, to the work, uh, to kingdom work. And, uh, and the Lord has really blessed my business. Uh, uh, I was fortunate in business. So we built, uh, well, probably in excess of 12,000 condominiums and land development. So, you know, we, we did very well. And, uh, and I just, uh, I, I was excited about, uh, you know, taking the profits that we made and, uh, and feeding the poor and and uh, and presenting the gospel. I hope you don't mind me asking, but how old were you when the Lord touched your heart for all of this? Oh, probably forty years of age. Okay, so you're established uh, financially and in every other way in life. I would imagine you didn't really need this, did you? Yes, we, uh, we you know we we're living a good life. Uh, I mean, I can live as well as I want to live on the 25%. <laughs> yeah, it's remarkable, though. Okay, let's get specific. Um, what do you do, how, and how do you go about doing it? Let's talk about some of the examples of what's going on around the world. Well, okay, I'll, um, back in, uh, in the early 90s, I started with, um, uh, with uh, Romania. I had a friend that was traveling there, and uh, I was watching Romania on television one day, and I saw a lot of children with, without shoes. So um, what I did, I had my secretary called Converse in London, if they would donate shoes to uh, children in Romania. And basically what they said was, okay, back up your truck and we'll load it up with shoes. <laughs> it was that simple? Just about that simple, yes. <laughs> so we, uh, I, had, I had some folks in London uh, rent some, uh, some Hertz trucks, and they backed that up and they loaded it up. But it was interesting because uh, when they did that, my, uh, my man in London called... Um, uh, the, uh, a lady that, uh, that ran a chain of, um, of soap stores. So he called her and asked if she had any soap for, uh, for the children in Romania. They don't have soap. And she said, well, back your truck up. I'll give you all the soap you want. <laughs> so we ended up uh, traveling across, and I traveled with them across uh, Europe, you know, and into, into France, Germany, over through Hungary, and then into, uh, into Romania, which is very interesting. And uh, we unloaded the, the shoes. We had a contact there. And, and I remember very, very vividly, uh, we, uh, and we had thousands of pairs of shoes. And uh, I, uh, I took probably a dozen or 15, and I saw kids playing soccer on a field with bare feet, and they had cold feet. And as soon as they saw me, and this was after the, 
collapse of the Roman regime. Ceausescu had been, had been assassinated. Mm-hmm. And I could hear one boy yelling, the Americans are here, the Americans are here, <laughs> if you can imagine. Yeah. So uh, that, that, that uh, my time in, in Romania, I spent, I think, probably um, parts of three years traveling in Romania. We worked with uh, different groups. We, um, we weren't only into orphans at that point. Uh, we, uh, we built a number of churches uh, in, uh, in Aradia and different parts of Romania. And, of course, we got to meet a lot of orphans as well. And then I, I turned that over to someone else. We funded it. But I turned that work over to someone else. And I, was, uh, I moved over to, um, to Uganda because I had a connection in Uganda with the Watoto Children's Group. We helped them out there for a number of years. Uh, we had about 3,000 orphans traveling around the world singing, and uh, it, it was exciting, exciting times. And, uh, and probably um, a couple of years after, I suddenly realized that, uh, you know, uh, most Americans um, uh, give to, uh, give to uh, Africa, and probably 60% of all charitable dollars from Africa come from the America. So I decided I would, I would go to Asia. And I would, I would um, take my funds, and, and, and we'd, we'll, we'll go to Asia and see what's happening. Well, how did you choose Burma? I mean, that, that, at the time, that was, that was pretty closed, wasn't it? Well, actually, in 1995, I made my first trip to Burma. And uh, I, it happened. I was in Vietnam. We were already working in Vietnam and Ho Chi Minh City. And I asked somebody if they know much about Burma. At that time, they called it Burma. Now they call it Myanmar. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, and I talked to um, a traveler who, 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 had, who had spent some time in, in Burma. Uh, I asked him about the, uh, the orphanage situation, and, uh, and he started telling me he didn't know very much. But what he could do is maybe put us in touch with somebody. So shortly after, I flew to Burma, and I had somebody pick me up, and they took me to uh, an orphanage. I asked them if they, could, if they could find an orphanage for me. And they said, well, we'll try. So he picked me up at the airport, and uh, he found an orphanage. And I didn't know whether it was a Buddhist or a Christian orphanage. I don't think he knew either. But um, I walked in, and uh, there was a couple that were running it, and it changed my life. Uh, I, uh, I walked into a room, and they had 24 orphans in the room, and these, and these orphans were malnourished, and they were all praying for food they had not eaten in four days. Oh, my goodness. And, and and the rest of Myanmar was born out of this experience. And so I had a great 20 years after that in Myanmar. But in those early days, were you welcomed as an American by the Burmese government? Well, most people weren't. Uh, you know, I had a few challenges, but not many. Um, not many. I, uh, I was quiet, and, and a lot of the work was quiet and underground. And... Uh, but we just we just stayed with it, and, and the Lord blessed. Like you could just sense His presence uh, every time we went, and we met some great people, just some great people that we worked with. I mean, you know, my efforts uh, were really rather minimal. Uh, you know, I had some uh, I had some people there that uh, that uh, that just had a lot of faith and compassion, and they believed. And it was a very quiet church, uh, uh, to some degree at that time, underground. And so we worked with them uh, for the next 20 years. So you were and, helping to build more orphanages, I understand, and, and doing yeah, what else? We built, uh, we built a lot of orphanages, uh, a lot of housing. Uh, our objective was to house, feed, and educate uh, the orphans. And uh, today we probably have well in excess of 2,000 children in our program. 
and uh, and we're growing from there. And uh, you know, it's just been so exciting. And we've met we've met tremendous people in Burma that we could work with. And there's much more to this man's story. Stan Unger, our guest on First Person, will continue in a moment. This is Ed Cannon, president of the Far East Broadcasting Company. The interview we're listening to reminds me of the remarkable way that God uses those who follow Christ to do great things for Him. At FEBC, we broadcast in nearly 50 countries of the world. Our staff always speaking in the local language, sharing the gospel, and teaching the word to millions every day. If you'd like to know more about FEBC, please click on the FEBC banner at firstpersoninterview.com. My guest is Stan Unger. Stan is very actively involved in uh, relief work, I guess you could call it, relief work in the name of Christ around the world. And uh, that started out in Romania, moved to other countries in Africa and Asia. We're talking specifically about Myanmar, now known as Myanmar, formerly Burma. And Stan, uh, we have a mutual friend who's told me in, for years about your work there, and it's, it's, it's always been amazing. I'm, I'm very glad to have this chance to talk about it. You mentioned the orphanages. And you were about to talk about meeting some very special people in in uh, Myanmar. Can you tell those stories? Yeah, we met we met some terrific people. Mio Chit was one of them, and uh, I got to know him. He became, he became a friend. I, I was introduced to him by one of our one of our orphanage um, uh, managers. Uh, he he was attending uh, one of Mio's churches as well, and uh, he told me he said you have to meet uh, you know my leader Mio Chit. So he arranged for a meeting. And I met him, and we, you know, we struck a chord, and uh, we just really moved on from there. And uh, you know, again, it wasn't me; it was him. Uh, you know, we provided uh, resources, and uh, and he did a great job. And uh, and we found, uh, you know, many people like Mio, and uh, you know, he's just one. Hmm. But we need people like that, and. Uh, you know, I couldn't do what I was doing if I didn't have a Mio Chit. Mm-hmm. Of course, and he couldn't do what he's doing, I'm sure, without you and your support as well. So give me a, a sense of, I know there's orphanages and you, you feed a lot of people, but give me a, a, a bigger sense of what you're able to do in Myanmar. Well, we, we also got into microloans, um, uh, and uh, through Mio Chit, we started a brick factory uh, as well as sewing machines, and he had a lot of, um, a lot of uh, single moms uh, there, so we provided. Uh, I think we ordered 300 sewing machines from Japan uh, for that program, and then we did a, big, a brick factory, which turned out to be amazing. Uh, I think I sent you a picture of that. Yes, you did. Thank uh, you. But uh, yeah, we there were there was a small group. They were building. They had a small building plant, maybe doing 500 bricks a day, and we brought in some equipment from the U.S. Uh, some uh, brick presses to increase that to 5,000 a day. So that went very well. Uh, extremely well, and they just went on from there. And I mean, there are so many, so many stories, microloan stories I could tell you. There's one other one. We got to know a guy named Joe, and Joe's an interesting guy. He's a good friend of mine, and uh, we, he wanted to start an agricultural school, so we funded the agricultural school, and he would bring people in from the villages, and he would train them in agriculture, and then what we would do is fund, you know, small land purchases for these people, we could buy land then for about $30 an acre. So we would send them back to their village and, uh, and uh, buy them the land. And, uh, and it was a tremendous program. They were able to feed a lot of people. And uh, I think, you know, we feed, we, we feed probably tens of thousands of people in all the village areas just through this program. <laughs> you know, I was, I was traveling one day. I was in China, 
And uh, I was traveling from Beijing over to uh, Myanmar. I stopped over in Bangkok to get my connecting flight. And as I was flying from Beijing, my, my heart was broken. You know, and I said, Lord, I said, I, I just don't know what happens to all these children. Where do they go? What has happened? And, and I, was, I, was, I was very emotional about it. I arrived at the landing dock in, um, in Bangkok in the, holding, in the holding pocket, and somebody tapped me on the shoulder. And I turned around. I was a young 30-year-old guy. And he said to me, you're going to see James, aren't you? I said, yes, I am. How do you know? He said, well, I know. I was an orphan there, and you came to see me many times. Oh. I said, well, what are you doing now? He said, well, I'm a pastor now in, in the Irrawaddy Delta area, and I have, um, I have 150 orphans, and last month we baptized 700 people. <laughs> so I said, thank you, Lord. I needed to hear that. <laughs> yeah, just the right time, right? <laughs> right time, absolutely. The time, just the right time. Yeah. I want to back you up because you've, you've mentioned microloans. Let's establish how that works. Well, what we do is uh, when we have someone that has, that has an interest in starting a business but doesn't have capital, what we will do is sit down with him and put together a business plan for him. We met a, a young man who wanted to start a farm. He wanted to grow watermelons. So he gave us a budget. We asked him for a budget. So he, he provided that uh, for three, $300 for seed, $300 for um, fertilizer. And I came back four months later, and he had ten, tens of thousands of, of watermelons. <laughs> and, and he was able to repay that loan quickly. And I think he made himself about $3,000 in that deal. And just got him off and running again. So little can yield so much, can it? Oh, yes, yes. Uh, I mean, the stories are endless, um, absolutely endless. Uh, again, you know, uh, it's the right people we have. Uh, you know, there's so many good people in Myanmar just looking for an opportunity. Yeah. Well, the story goes on, and we don't have time to tell it all. I mean, I know that you've got schools, you've got schools for the blind, you've got hospitals, uh, you've laid water lines in villages. Is that true? Yeah, we, we do what we call community development, and we bring in water lines. One particular village, we brought in a water line one mile long that services three villages, and each village has a tap. So the, so the ladies, the, the, the mothers, don't have to walk a mile and a half or a mile for water. Mm. Uh, and we build buildings, houses for them. Houses are very reasonable. They're on stilts. We can build a house for $2,000, and we built... You know, many, many houses in these, in these small villages. And just a, just a tremendous opportunity. Uh, that was in Mon State. Tell me about Fedwell Foods. Fedwell Foods is, 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 is it's become my passion. It's become my passion. I, was, I asked God one day, how can, we feed, how can we feed all the hungry, malnourished children in Asia? And it started with that conversation with God. And so I... Uh, I started a food enterprise, a food packaging plant. I didn't know anything, but basically the principles are the same as building condos. <laughs> and uh, so I surrounded myself with people, and I found the right people who could help me. I found, uh, I found nutritionists. I found agriculturalists. I even found a, a Bible scholar. And the Bible scholar was really quite interesting because he brought me a story about Ezekiel who was uh, facing famine an angel appeared to him, and at least this is what the, what the, what the uh, uh, scholar told me, that uh, the angel told Ezekiel that he was going to feed him lentils, millet, and beans for the next 180 days. And so we decided I, I turned the lentil, millet, bean process over to a nutritionist, 
who in turn uh, turned that into a soup. And uh, we got FDA approval on that soup. It's one of the, it's probably the most nutrition, nutritional soup uh, in, the, in the relief world today. And we're having a lot of relief organizations purchasing that soup from us with FDA approval. So that's been a passion of mine, and I could I could tell you story after story on that one. Yeah. And uh, but it's been exciting. It's been an exciting time developing Fedwell Foods, and you can go into FedwellFoods.com online, and you'll get the story. All right, we'll put that on our website as well, FedwellFoods.com. Yeah. Okay. Uh, how do you how do you maintain all the infrastructure and all the processing and and and, and all? Is there is there a group of people that work with you? Good people. Yeah, I just surrounded myself. Uh, surrounded myself with real good people, the same as when I started in my development game. I mean, I didn't know very much. I knew there was an opportunity. I just surrounded myself with people then, and now I surrounded myself with people again. Of course, I mean, you know, and, and a lot of prayer, a lot of prayer. So you actually employ in the country of Myanmar some of the Burmese uh, people there? Oh, yeah, we, we employ hundreds of people. We have, we have hundreds that we employ. Uh, and what we do we, we attempt to, our first objective is to hire uh, aged-out orphans. You know, when the orphans reach an age of, say, say 18 or 16, after they finish their level 11 high school, they can, they can come to work for us. And we pay them more money than what they can get in the marketplace. Hmm. Well, you must be a hero to an awful lot of people. And uh, I know you do it out of a heart to serve Christ, and that's first and foremost in your life, Stan. But what, what brings a tear to your eye when... Uh, when you, I mean, you must spend a lot of time there. Um, I made my 37th trip there just recently. Did you? Yes. After all this and all you've seen God do through all these years, what still moves you? I'll tell you about a hungry child. I met a hungry, uh, two boys. They're, they named them Coco One and Coco Two. Oh. They were from a village in Myanmar, and the military brought them to our orphanage to take care of. And Coco One was uh, 10 years old. Coco Two is 12. Coco two died a couple of years later, and we were left with Coco one. And 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 every time I think of him, I mean, I have I'm, the compassion in me just rises. So we are we're always looking for the Coco ones and Coco twos. And wherever I go, whether it's there or uh, I just met one in in Calcutta recently, a young man. I can tell you the same story, and uh, it's always that one, just that one that motivates me. I you know, and I'll find that one anywhere. God just sends that one to me. Because if I can take care of that one, then we can do the same model with the rest. Stan, it's been remarkable to talk with you today. Any final word you'd like to share with us? Yeah, I would like to say that, uh, you know, Christ said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I believe Christ is building his church and I'm just allowing him to build his church. And, uh, and just, you know, walking alongside of him and enjoying every moment. What an inspiration. Our guest has been an extraordinary businessman who isn't content to do less than his all for the gospel. I appreciate Stan Unger taking the time to inspire us to great things through telling his story today. Stan mentioned the country of Myanmar. It happens to be one of many countries where the Far East Broadcasting Company is also engaged in telling people about Christ and discipling new believers. You can find out much more about FEBC by going to firstpersoninterview.com and clicking on the banner for FEBC. You'll be visiting the page where you can hear FEBC Today, the daily broadcast, and request additional information. Go to firstpersoninterview.com. When you join us next week, you'll meet Kay Horner. 
Now, with thanks to my friend and producer Joe Carlson, I'm Wayne Shepherd. Hey, thanks for listening today. We'll see you next time for First Person. 